0: Have you taken a trip on a bus at some point? Let's have the house lights up, thank you. If you have taken a trip on a bus somewhere, you'll notice that a lot of people are carrying some luggage, or if you have taken a trip on an airplane sometime, you may go into the corridor and you'll see all kinds of people walking by, right? And you'll see them carrying backpacks, or maybe they're carrying suitcases of some kind. Maybe you notice how they're dressed, and you see the outfit that they have on. Uh, maybe you notice their hair outfit or, or you notice their glasses in some way. And so you, you make a mental note of that. And when you get back to your to your gate, you tell your friends, boy, you won't believe what I saw. And they may come by here in just a minute, so be watching. And you tell them and then you point to, oh, look, look at that. And you just kind of label somebody by the suitcase they have or, or by the hairdo they have or the outfit that they're wearing, not realizing that really it represents more than that. It is a person, and that person that you're seeing there is more than just, than just a suitcase. They're more than just some kind of outfit. They're more than just some kind of hairdo. They are a real person with a real life and a real story. They may be going somewhere. They may be trying to do something. They may be on a mission somewhere, and God loves them, and God is working in their life. When you go in the Bible and you read in the New Testament, you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you come to a book called Acts, and when you read into Acts about uh, chapter 7, you see that there was this guy, he's standing there, and he's watching the coats, he's holding the coats, and while he's standing here watching the coats and holding the coats, he is holding the coats for some people who are doing something that is very unthinkable, they're picking up rocks, and they're throwing them at a guy who was a Christian, his name is Stephen, and he is the first guy to be killed, to be martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ, Your Bible tells you something interesting while he's standing there, this guy, watching these coats, holding these coats for those guys that are stoning Stephen. It says that the heavens open up, and as the heavens open up, there is Jesus looking over the balcony. Stephen says something that's almost unbelievable. He says, Father, don't don't hold this sin against them. I don't know what the future may be for us as believers, and we may come to a point where we are so marginalized, as some would seem to want to make it that way today, that we get so marginalized that they want to scrutinize what we say, what we publish, what we print, etc. But he was actually killed for his faith. And while, while the heavens open up, Jesus is standing there, and he's looking at him, and he's listening to him. Jesus sees the whole picture around him. He doesn't just see Stephen, but he sees the guy that's standing there holding the coats. Aren't you glad, if you're tracking with me, aren't you glad that our God sees past the coat, past the baggage of our life, and he sees a person, and he sees an opportunity, and he sees a next chapter, and he sees a new level, and he sees a new day, and he sees a possibility. Oh, can I get a witness in the house? He sees something that could be... Beautiful about that person's life. I sat there a while ago and I know the story of everybody on this stage. They don't get up here without me knowing their story pretty much. And I know the story pretty much about everybody on this stage. And I was just sitting here thinking about that one was healed of cancer. That one was delivered of cancer. That one had this situation happen in their life. They stayed true to God. That one strayed and came back. This one did that. And I was looking and I saw a whole bunch of trophies of grace. God's work in their life. And then I thought about the people standing around me, the people sitting behind me, that would be you. And I was thinking about, my stars, aren't you glad God looked past all of the window dressing of our life and looked deep within us and he saw value and he sees value today and he values you with an incredible value. He loves you and on a Valentine's Day, I want to tell you God loves you and you and you and you and every one of us. Can I get a witness in this whole house today? Thank God he loves us. I'm so glad that he loves us. Now, I know you're not deaf, but I'm excited, so here we go. (laughs) The guy that was holding the coats, his name is Saul. But something is going to happen to him. While he's on his road, while he's walking along with letters in his hand to arrest more Christians, to punish them for their faith, people like you, to punish them for their faith, while he's doing that, big bright light nails him. And he says, who are you, Lord? He's never seen a light like this. He's seen candles and lanterns and all kinds of stuff like torches, but he's never seen something like this. This is extraterrestrial. He has never seen. And the big bright light shines, and as it shines above him, he says, who are you, Lord? And the voice of Jesus himself says, he says, it's hard for you to kick against my work, to kick against me. And there on that road, he's experienced a transformation in his mind and a transformation in his heart. He repented of his sins, and he went over to a house, and a guy met up with him whose name was Ananias. Ananias began to disciple him. It was absolutely powerful, and there were other people that began to disciple him, and the early church was scared of him because he'd been arresting him. Why not? I would be scared of him, and they were all afraid of him, but Ananias and others began to vouch for him and say, this guy's changed, and when we come into our passage on this morning and we start reading, love is patient, love is kind, you know who wrote that? The guy who was standing back there holding the coat, he's either a phony or something's happened to him. I tell you something happened to him. And something has happened to many, many of you sitting right here in this auditorium today. Something beautiful has happened in your life. You have met up with Jesus some way. Bright light, maybe, maybe not. But you had some kind of an awareness that you were lost and he is the Savior. And we experienced what Pastor Scott just led us through with the communion where we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but we've had a resurrection in our heart and life as he's called out to us. And We have confessed, he is forgiven, and we're changed by the renewing of our mind, the transforming of our mind, and our heart, and our life, and we're headed in a new direction. Isn't that powerful? My stars, this gives us hope. I'm preaching to some of you that are delivered from drugs, some of you that have been healed from situation, some of you that your lives are put back together, some of you have had relationships restored. This is absolutely amazing. He looked past all the crap and stuff of your life, and he said, there is something more. He said, sin is worth worth it. I'm going to go and die for these people. I'm going to get rid of all that sin. He says, I'm going to do that, transform you, and put you into a right relationship where you can go to heaven someday. And Let me tell you something. I'm going to take my last breath one of these days. I'm ready any time. I'm going to take my last breath any time. And when I do that, I'm going to be excited because my next breath is going to be right over there. I was thinking about Dave Sheets who passed away, used to lead music over at Calvary Westland years ago. Dave Sheets, not Dave Green, Dave Sheets. And as he led the music over there and as he led it in many places and down near uh, DC, he, he got COVID and he passed away. Not an old man at all. He passed away the other day. And I was thinking, man, that guy is in heaven this morning. And I was excited for him as I was thinking about that, as he's celebrating with the good things of Jesus Christ right now. He's not just by faith talking about him, just by faith singing about him. He's seeing him. Because your Bible says, God will wipe away all tears from our eyes, and the former things will be passed away on that day when we see him face to face. That is a guy, Paul, who is writing these words to us. So though he lists a whole lot of things here about love, I want to look today, just because I know you don't want to stay here all day. (laughs) I'm not that good. I want to just share for a little while about love is patient and then love is kind. When I think about the idea of patience, God himself demonstrates this, patience, and it's highlighted for us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. There is a story highlighted briefly about Noah. You remember Noah? It's referred to him not as a fable, not as some kind of folklore, not as a tale, but as a real event, a real historical event that occurred. And In that, it is highlighting this for us to understand. While Noah is building the boat with his family, he's preaching to the people. He's sharing the good news with the people, and the people are basically laughing at him and saying, ah, we don't believe it. We're not into it. It's not for us. We don't really need that. You're crazy. You're not up to the times. That's phony. That's baloney. We don't believe all that kind of stuff. God's patience was demonstrated, listen to this, for 120 years. That, ladies and gentlemen, is patience. God demonstrated his love toward us. In the while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thanks be to God for that. Powerful. Patience also demonstrated, whenever you look at Paul and Barnabas, they went on a mission trip. The mission trip they went on was to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people who had not yet heard or to strengthen those who maybe were in the faith. And so they're on this mission trip, leaving their home, traveling to different places. They take along a young guy with them, and maybe you're mentoring somebody today. Maybe you're helping somebody that's newer to the faith or young in their life. And they took a guy along with them whose name was John Mark. While they have him traveling with them, they're on this mission trip. And before it is over, he says, I'm out, I'm done, I'm gone. He leaves, goes back home. Eventually, Paul and Barnabas finish their trip, and they go back home. They rest up, recoup, refocus, recharge, and now they're ready to take another mission trip. And they have a conversation. And the Bible says that when they were having this conversation, they had a disagreement. Have you ever had a disagreement with a good Christian friend? It's possible to have happen, isn't it? They had this disagreement together. And what their disagreement was, was this. Their disagreement came over whether or not they would take John Mark with them on the next trip. Paul said, I don't want to take him. He's type A. Don't have time for that. Once burned, twice smart. Paul was from Missouri. And he said, I don't want that. You got to show me. And so being from there, I know. I haven't been to his house yet, but, you know, he's from Missouri, I'm sure. (laughs) No, he's not. But anyway, he says, uh, I'm not wanting to take him. Barnabas, who is known as the encourager. Are you an encourager? Barnabas was the encourager, and he was encouraging me. Guess what? He says, well, I want to take him. I just want to go ahead and take him. And Paul said, that's fine. I'll take Silas with me. Barney, you go ahead and take John Mark with you. We'll do two mission trips. Barnabas says, that's fine with me. And so Barnabas takes young John Mark with him. And it's absolutely powerful. He begins to mentor him and has patience with him. Love is patient. Do you have this kind of love? Next level love? Agape love? God love? He wants to give it to you? He wants you to have it. He wants it to ooze from the inside out of your life. God. God love. Love is patient. We notice that later on, the apostle Paul, he says this. He writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11. He says, "Um, only Luke is with me. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Are you kidding me? What a change in his heart. He must have been thinking back to when Ananias was patient with him, when the early church was patient with him. He must have had another conversation with Barnabas to realize John Mark was all that in a box of crackers, and he is a good guy now. He must have been realizing something good is going on, and he got excited about this. And so when you get your Bible and you open up into the New Testament, your first book is what? Matthew. What is the second book? Mark. That's this guy, Matthew Mark. Patience. We are to follow the model of patience toward everyone. I have a three-year-old granddaughter whose name is Lily. I love Lily. She is um, becoming acquainted with the phone. And she will FaceTime me with her mother's help, of course. But she will FaceTime me. And she wants to run around the house. And show me what she's doing. It's very spectacular. I've seen the ceiling of their house, the floor of their house the wall of their house. She says, we're going to go to pretend school. She puts me in some kind of a little something, a wagon of some kind puts a seat down. Here, I'm going to put you in as dark as can be. And she hauls me down. I can still hear her voice as she's screaming and screeching at me and all this kind of... Yesterday, she wanted to show me the little robo-vacuum little thing, you know, rolls around the floor. She wanted, here, pop, pop, come see this. She's showing me. I see the window. I see the door. I see the wall. I see all this other kind of stuff. I don't even know. So she sent to me her first text. What do you think she said? I hope you know, because I don't. F-D-N-A-B-A-M-D-H-E-E-E-D-B-R-F-D-V-X-V. And for the next 10, 12 lines, she said all of that. (laughs) Love is patient. If you've got the gift of interpretation, come help me afterwards. I have no clue what she said to me, but I love it. And I sent it to my mom, and I sent it to my... Uh, kids, and I celebrated. It's absolutely amazing. Love is patient. I want to bring this home right into your heart right now. When I was a kid growing up, I had a number of uncles who were alcoholics. I hate alcohol. I've never had a drink of alcohol of any kind, not even champagne in my entire life, on purpose, by choice. When I turned 21, I didn't drink. Before, I never cheated. Haven't cheated since. Never on purpose. Been offered, didn't take. And so, I saw what it would do. Devastated their health. Devastated it. If you don't understand alcohol, alcohol, when a person becomes a really full-blown alcoholic, the stuff can actually leak from the pores of their body. And when you lay down, it can actually go to the bottom half of your body, again, the part against the bed. It's absolutely crazy. This stuff will own you and become demonic. I hate it. I hate it. I know Jesus turned water to wine. Paul said take a little wine for the stomach. But if you've got a drinking problem today, what I want to say to you is think about the story of my uncle. When I was a kid growing up, my family had a habit of prayer. I was the youngest in the lineup. Mom, uh, my dad, my mom, my sister Kathy, then Lance, my brother, my sister Nancy, who was four years older than me, and then myself, Caboose. And so here we are. At my house, we had a habit every night. I don't mean once in a while. I'm not making it up. It's not bigger Now, since I'm older, looking back, I'm talking about every night. Every night, we knelt by whatever chair or couch we were by, and we each one prayed out loud. I learned to pray. It did something. It reset our lives, and it cleared our conscience before we went to bed. And so I prayed every night. I learned to pray that way. Something that I know we did praying around the room, we prayed for all of our relatives that were aunts, uncles, grandparents, and all of our cousins by name. We prayed for people at the church we knew were in situations, and we prayed for situations we all faced the next day. Homework, some kind of test, driver's test, anything we were facing, we, we just went prayed about it. We trusted God. Now, as we had this form of prayer at our house, it worked for us, and so we were giving ourselves to prayer. We prayed for those decades for my uncle by name specifically. I dreaded the days that he would be off work because he would get wasted, fried, totally blown away, blitzed, and it would destroy the rhythm of our day, of our week. You just get in knots. I remember sitting in school being in knots, thinking he's off today. I wonder if he's drinking. I would sit there, literally, I remember sitting in class praying that God would reach him and he would touch him and change him because he was just devastatingly hurt by this stuff. End up creating a bad reputation for himself one he wasn't proud of. See, seemed like the more we prayed, the further he went. The wrong way. A few years ago, I got a call from my brother, and he said, Kev, he said, something has happened. I said, what's happened? He started telling me the story about my uncle, how my uncle, who trusted my brother, called him up one day and said, I've had enough, that's it, I'm done. I can't keep going this way. And his will reached up a little bit and God's great big hand came down a whole long way. And when your will and God's hand meet, something happens. He got changed that day, that moment, and he never picked up another drink. It doesn't always work that way, but it did that way for him. He had all these decades of wasted life. Wasted life. But now, he was being redeemed. Powerful. My brother called me up sometime later and said, Kev, you're not going to believe this, but Uncle is going to be speaking at such and such a church. And he spoke at that church and shared his story that I just shared with you and how God transformed him and changed him. There was a guy got up and came walking up to the front, and he said to him, he said, I want God to do to me what he just did to you because i got to have that. You see, when you come to faith in Christ, other people can't help but see it. You remember I talked to you about Bobby and Crystal George? You remember I talked to you about that and how they led and how they led Bible study and many, many of their friends came to Jesus. One time Bobby said to me, He said, Kev, can I use, he said, can I use a fellowship hall? We were over at Calvary Wesleyan. can I use a fellowship hall for Bible study? I remember, Bobby, you had over 60 to 70 people, and Bobby's sitting right there, right there, Bobby and Crystal. Give them a hand. Would you do that today? <clears throat> Change and transform by reading the Bible. God call him out. Powerful. This is real stuff. Love is patient. Now, are you patient this morning? Can you take one more? (laughs) Here it is. Love is kind. Let's say it together. Love is kind. And when you think about the kindness that is here, God modeled this kindness for us throughout history. One of the ways in the book of Isaiah... Pastor Scott referred to Isaiah 53 as he led us through communion. But let's go to chapter 54 for a minute. Notice at verse 8. In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, God is saying. But with everlasting kindness. I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Did you notice that? With everlasting kindness. You know what? Let me just put that in contemporary Terms. God sees what is going on. God knows what is going on. He sees what is happening and he's very frustrated with what's going on. He sees the sin and he cannot tolerate sin, hates sin. And he sees it and he sees a misstep and a willingness to go wayward. And he says, Ah, he is stirred up with his anger and it's an emotion we have. And so we may be stirred up with anger, but he said, Be angry and sin not. And here's how he models that kindness. He gets angry, but it's as if he turns. He turns, he said, in a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. I turned from you for a moment. I, I turned from you. And here's what he does. I'm paraphrasing. He says, I counted to 10. One, two, three, four, five, right on up to nine, 10. You see, here's the here's situation. Bring it right into your story. You see your wife do something. You see your husband do something. And immediately you want to just absolutely just bite their head off argh, for something they have done. Now, none of you in this service, but last night you should have been here. Oh, no. I know you, you're Dutch. And you do this. Because I have enough of that in me as well, I know. And your kids do something. The first thing you do is get angry, discipline them, and then think about what you did. Instead of think about it and allow yourself to do what you should do. Which may not always be what you did when you were angry. It's kind of quiet in here, isn't it? <laughs> I don't hear any snoring, so I think you're listening. And so we, we understand that God sees this. Here's something else Jeremiah says in chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. I am the Lord who exercises, say it, I kindness. I exercise kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Do you notice what's happening with this? I am the Lord, he says. I exercise kindness and justice. In other words, it's not just all sweet, but there is the balance of the justice and righteousness, which is his way on the earth, he says, because he delights in those kinds of things. God's extended his kindness toward us in John chapter 3 and verse 16, in that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ would die for us. This is absolutely powerful. Jesus models this kind of kindness himself. When he's hanging on the cross, he is pinned to the cross. He has suffered from the beating, from the thorns on his head, now the nails that are in him. He is hanging on the cross. And while he's on the cross, John chapter 19 and down along about verse 26 and 27, it says while Jesus is on the cross, we want to hear his last words, right? If you're a reporter, you're standing there saying, say something, say something notable. I want to hear it, man. I'm going to write it down so I can have a great article. Everybody's going to That's what you if you're just standing there and you're one of his friends, you're just thinking, eventually he's going to say enough and come off that cross. You're listening for those last words. Well, here's one of his last words. He says to John, "Take care of my mother." Kindness. Kindness. "Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing." Kindness. To the thief on his side, today I'll remember you in paradise. Kindness. Kindness. Where to model this loving kindness? In the movie Fireproof, Caleb and Catherine are splitting up, they're going their own way. And in that movie, he decides he's going to exercise kindness. He does not know if she'll respond and how she'll reciprocate, if at all, toward his kindness. But he decides she's going to go ahead and plant the seed of kindness anyway. He does. And in that story, we see that she eventually begins to take note and eventually begins to do a pivot. And she turns and guess what she does? She comes back and says, I'll give it another shot. Kindness. I've got a big pencil right here. Everybody look up here. I've got a big pencil right here. You get a lot of homework done with this pencil. I'm going to tell you what, if, you, if you're having trouble with homework, this might be your answer. For $500, you can have this pencil after I'm done with it today. <laughs> Kenneth Chaffin. Kenneth Chafin says this, writer, pastor, theologian. He said, I met a couple of people who had been married almost 40 years who destroyed their relationship by writing down Listen, every wrong with the pencil of memory. They use this end of the pencil. Never taking anything off with the other end, the eraser of forgiveness and love. Do you hear that? I took my girlfriend, who happens to be my wife, Good, isn't it? You're glad to know that. <laughs> I took her over to Longhorn Friday. Met, had a nice supper. Ribeye medium, well, broccoli, lettuce on the side, would put the ranch on the side, all that. If you want bread, no, we don't want any <laughs> bread. Give me some tea, give me some water, yeah, I'll drink that. Thank you. That's very good. Later, bring a diet coke, I'm thirsty. Come on, bring it on in. So we you know, we were having fun sitting there. I gave to her a couple of trophies and presents and stuff and thanked her for being beautiful and awesome and all the things that she is, and patient and kind, and she's the best thing that happened to me other than Jesus. And so I was just telling her how she's the best thing since sliced bread. And so we went ahead had our meal we we're getting through and the lady that had been there when I checked in and gave me the number so it would page me whenever our seat was available. She was now over there near our area and she was fixing some of the napkins and the silverware and as she did she was commenting, well, have a happy Valentine. I say, yeah, and you as well. Yeah, we're here. And she could see the presence of our conversation continued. And pretty soon I said, you know what? This, this is my wife for 35 years. And some of you have been married longer than that. But that's, it amazed her. <clears throat> she said, that's a long time. <laughs> She's this young girl. and Her eyes are really big. She said, what's the secret? How do you do it? And I said, well, you've got to have a good forgiver. You've got to be able to forgive each other. And you've got to choose to love and romance each other. You've got to choose to do that. And I said, I made a decision early on in my life, on purpose, that I would never cheat on her. Made a decision and never run around on her. And I said, I kept my promise because I didn't want the headache and trouble of that for me or her. I just think I need to pause here. If you've cheated, if you've had this kind of thing, God can forgive you and he can help you and he can bring restoration to you. Let him. Let him. Let him. And so I said, but I think there's something else. She was listening, working. There's something else. If you put God right here, and here you are, and here is your spouse, and you both grow toward God, you realize what's happening? You're growing together. You notice that? I preached and then I took an offering right there in Longhorn. No, I didn't. I gave a generous tip because I always do. I want him to know that I believe in generosity. And she was like, wow. Took it right back to God. Didn't bring it more to us. Because I know this. I can't change her, but she can call on God anytime, anyplace. Throughout the rest of her life, when I'm dead and gone, she's a young person. She can still call on God. Isn't that good news? That's great news. That's powerful stuff. Keep going, Kev. This is really rich. This is good stuff. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says this, be kind and compassionate to one another. Not easy always, is it? Forgiving each other, just, you know, use the eraser. I don't want to mess this up because somebody's going to give me $500 for it put the cap back $505. Now, I just went up. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. When I was a young man, it was my privilege as a young minister. Last couple of years of ministry training, and then after Pam and I got married, we were together a lot. And so I went to many, many places throughout the Midwest preaching, and I wasn't good. I was loud, and most of the time they'd call me come preach at a church for like Friday, Saturday, and then two times on Sunday, and so I'd go, and sometimes I'd go Tuesday through Sunday, so I'd go and I'd preach. We called them revivals then, so I'd go and I'd preach whatever camp or revival, whatever I was doing, and so I went To a lot of churches, I have a lot of stories that are very interesting to me. One story that really stood out to me, and in preparation for this message, it came to my mind. I was in Joplin, Missouri. You remember hearing about the tornado going through a couple of years, five or six years, whatever it was, ago, and it ripped through the town and devastated. That's the town. Okay, I was in Joplin, Missouri. I've got friends that live there, and, and so... When I went down at their invitation, I began to preach in service one and service two, and we're preaching along, and I'm getting acquainted. It's not a big congregation, not a big building, so I get to see basically everybody in, you know, in the face, and so after service, I'm able to greet them or beforehand, but there's a guy who would come in just kind of last minute, and then he would get up, and he would leave not too long after the service, so I really didn't get, get acquainted with him, and so I said to some of the people there, I said, who is that guy? He just kind of comes in, and he, I, don't, I haven't really met him. Who is that? They said, we'll tell you who he is. And this is what they said. They said, 14 years ago, his wife, whom he loves, became ill and bedridden. And for the last 14 years, she has laid in the bed, not able to care for herself. This man gets up in the morning, cares for her until the nurse gets there. The nurse takes care of her through the day. This man leaves and goes to his job. He works all day. He comes back home. And when he gets home, he cares for his wife the rest of the night, unless he gets the nurse to stay a little longer so he could come to church. 14 years. Love is patient. Love is kind. Let's say it together Love is patient. Love is kind. The Lenten season kicks off on Wednesday. You have taken off and given up so much. You have put on new habits, patterns, and masks. I'm asking you to think about something that really won't cost you that much unless you choose to express it through price. I'm going to ask you to consider taking these two on, kindness and patience. Our world needs it so bad. Our political world is... At each other's throat, our cyber world, Facebook, all these, often other people's throat. So many people are at odds and at each other's throat. And if you exhibit kindness, hold the door, let them go in front of you in the traffic, give up that parking space, park a little further away, it's going to make a difference. Patience. Easy for me to preach hard for me to do. But I'm reminded when we leave this place we need to exhibit patience. I think we can do this with the help of God. We haven't even been here an hour. We're trying to keep the service a little bit shorter. But we're going to go ahead and have a closing song. But before we sing that and as they come I'm going to invite you to bow your head and let's seal this message with a prayer. could we do that? Let's bow our heads. Father, in the name of Jesus, we humbly bow our heads before you. On our own, we realize that we are carrying all kinds of suitcases and all kinds of backpacks. And on our own, we realize we are holding all kinds of coats for the wrong purpose, the wrong cause. And sometimes we haven't even known it. Haven't even known it. But there we were. But you're calling us today to think through the songs, the scriptures, the prayer, the communion, and the message. You're calling us to a higher level. As your children, as your followers, you're calling us to live a holy life. And Lord, on our own, we know we can't do it, but with you coming in and transforming us, as you did Paul, as you have my uncle, as you have so many of us, and as you're continuing to do to all of us, none of us are finished products. Lord, we praise you that you're still at work within us. So today, as we leave this place, may we exhibit kindness, May we exhibit the patience it causes the world to look at us and say, oh, man, what is different about you until we won't just point them to us, but like at Longhorn the other night, we can point them to you, to you, because you're all that. We thank you. By the way, earlier I did not mean to say crap, but I did. Forgive me. Uh, didn't mean to say that in my message, but uh, thank the Lord he is with us. Let's stand, and now let's sing our closing song.